morning with. We, uh, last week was Mother's Day, and we kind of took a break a little bit about what we were talking uh, about. It. But yet in the Mother's Day message, I t- had talked about the roles of the ladies within the local assembly. And uh, that, that, in, that triggered a question that came up this week, uh, which comes up a lot of times amongst believers, and that is, which church should I attend? And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful question, and when you think about the question, it's actually pretty important where you do attend for you as a believer. Now, I, I had some folks tell me, well, my sister goes here, I'm glad they go there. I'm not talking about changing church, I'm just trying to think about, you, have you think about some things and so forth. In 1 Timothy 3 and uh, verse 15, it's kind of where we're going to launch out of, uh, again, a couple weeks ago we looked at, those, simp- those two simple principles, that is the issue that the, the, the uh, word of God is complete. And we have that uh, in, in, for the English-speaking people in the King James Bible. Now, again, I don't speak any of the other languages that are out there in the world. I know what the translator groups talk about, that, that pretty much every language has the word of God in it. So the, great, the best thing for you and I to do is to find somebody that speaks like Spanish, because we have a big Spanish contingency here, teach them, train them, write division, the sound doctrine, and let them go and then wor- work out and so forth in their community. And the reason I say that is because you and I know nothing about translating and what it takes and the ten neck, the the movement from one to another and everything. There's a reason why things in your English Bible are the way they are and so forth. But then we also looked at the fact is is that God's grace is sufficient. And the sufficiency of God's grace, that word sufficient, uh, lacking nothing, able to stand on your own. And that's a tremendous thing. So when you think about this, this issue and you think about what church I should attend, Obviously, I, ha- I hope I don't have to run the verses where we talk about the fact is, is that the church is not this building, the brick and mortar. This is a tool. The church isn't the house next door. This is a campus, they call it, in modern big church talk, okay? But no, these are tools. Do you know that, uh, come, come back with me to Acts. I know I told you I didn't think we needed to do this, but we're going to do it. Acts 17. Acts 17, Paul is on, the, on, the, on Mars Hill here, verse 22, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that ye are, uh, are I, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. Now, he's just dealt with the Stoics and the Epicureans up in verse 18. Then he says, verse 24, God, uh, verse 23, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worshipped, him declare I unto you. So God's going to, de- Paul's going to declare unto them the God of the Bible, the God of the un- the unknown God. That's the God of the Bible. That's who he's going to talk to. Verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, seeth that he is the Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Where does he dwell? He dwells in you. So the church, when we talk about the church and what church, we're not talking about the buildings, okay? Now, I love our buildings. I enjoy them. They're great tools. They're great uh, things to have and to do and to function with. They're, they're, they're also a pain in the neck, which, by the way, I forgot. 
the offering box in the back, okay? <laughs> All right? So make sure you're doing your part. But when you think about church, I, I hope we don't have to spend the time looking at the issue of it. it's the people, not the, the building. If these buildings were to burn down, we would still get together. It would still be Southwest Bible Fellowship. Now, we would be in a different, what, location, okay? So that's a given. I'm, I'm going based off of that. Come over with me to Philippians chapter 1. When you come into a local assembly, when you come into a church, you're coming into the very vehicle, and this is where we're getting at, the very vehicle that God has ordained for the work of the ministry to be done in. Now, I realize that there are people all across this world that don't have a local church, and yet they're on the Internet and they're online, and we're, uh, we're glad that they're there, we're glad they tune in, we're glad they listen, and so forth. But when you think about a church, a local church, that is a local gathering up together of believers in a locale, in a specific region, place, and they come together for study. They come together for uh, fellowship. They come together for many different things. However, the local church is not a social club. It never was made that way. It was never designed to be that way. It is designed to be a classroom where the sound doctrine... Uh, I, we didn't read 1 Timothy 3.15, did we? All right. You got Philippians? Go read 1 Timothy 3. I'm so sorry. You should have yelled at me. Usually you do. What's going on here? 1 Timothy 3, look at verse 15. But if I tarry... Hold on to Philippians 1. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself, now watch, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. There's, there's what church is. What is it? It's the house of God. Now, we meet in this building here at 700 West 10th, Mitchell and 10th, or in 704 next door, but we're the house of the living God. Now, now go back to Philippians 1. So when you come to a local church and you think about church, by the way, there are a bunch of churches in Scripture, okay? you got the church in the wilderness. you got a church over here. you got a church here. Church just means a called-out group, a gathering together. In Philippians 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, now watch, with the bishops and deacons. So the local assembly, the local assembling of the, the believers, they're getting together not in a Bible study, okay, but they're getting together at the church, the house of the, the this, this specific entity that has what? It has saints and it has bishops and deacons. It has leadership. It has organization. And I know what happens, everybody runs from that organization word, usually, especially when you understand right division, you don't want to be like organized religion. But you know what? God is not the God of disorder. He's a God of what? Order. That's what he is. So he said there's leadership. And in, within the local assembly, you've got three groups of people. You've got the saints. You've got to have the saints. And then you have leadership, bishops and deacons. And there's roles there. Then he goes in here in 1 Timothy 3, and he lays out in 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Timothy 3, he lays out the roles of the different groups within the what? The local assembly. 
So when you come back to 1 Timothy 3, verse 15, you get a benchmark test. When you ask the question, what church should I go to, you have a way to test it. Now, most of the time, people go to a church because they've got a Starbucks in the lobby. They do. I've talked to them. You, they'll go to church because they have a big children's program. Okay? They do. I've talked to them. Barna did a research and said that 80, 80-something percent of parents look at their churches that they go to based on the children's program. So it's a legitimate thing. Okay? But when you come to Scripture and you begin to read what, what does Scripture say, you know, there's nothing mentioned about a children's program, I'm sorry. There's nothing mentioned about Starbucks in the lobby. There's nothing mentioned about Bosa Donuts every week or Krispy Kremes or any of that. It's mentioned something different about being the pillar and the ground of truth. And when you begin to think about and you begin to consider the issues here of where am I going to go to church? I got a benchmark here. I want to go where, where the truth is going to be preached. I want to go where the issues of right division are discussed. Why? Because that's what the Word of God says I should do and be about. And if I'm going to believe the Word, that I have the Word, Okay, And I'm going to believe what the Word says to me, and the Word is the final authority in all matters of faith and practice, Okay, the big statement everybody likes to make. Then when that Word says you don't be over here in that religious system, be over here in this, then I need to pay attention. Come with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. So when you think about this, and, and by the way, you can, I, I, I'm very aware of the online presence um, and so forth, and I have nothing against it. We've been streaming live since 2000, 2001, 2002, right when it first got started. We were, as soon as we found out about the technology, we've been doing it. Actually, I, like 2005 or six, right in there we started, I think. I'm not, there's nothing against the internet that's just not church, okay? Because in a church, in a local assembly, you know what happens with the pastor, the bishops? They get held accountable by who? The saints, see. They get held, the deacons are held accountable, leadership is held accountable by the saints. When you're online, guess who you're held accountable to? No one, not at all. You can say, do, you can be whoever you want to be. Just change your picture and change your name, your tag. See? So there's no accountability. And when you come into the local assembly, there is to be great accountability. Why? Because the local assembly is to be the pillar and the ground of truth. And that's the benchmark. That's where we should be. The local church must, from the pulpit, preach and teach that the Bible is to be believed, rightly divided, and the issues of the grace life, the reality of life in Christ, living out through your life. That's what is a Pauline church, if, you, if I can say it that way. Now watch Ephesians 4. Because in Ephesians 4, the whole book of Ephesians, Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus. 
okay? He's talking to a local church. He says, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. There's those seven ones, the great seven there, okay? And when he talks there in verse 3 about endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, he's not talking about your unity with anybody. He's talking about the unity of who? The Spirit. And what is the unity of the Spirit? It's the seven ones. See, what he's doing here is he's not talking about, sometimes we like to sacrifice doctrine and truth on the altar of unity. And we all got to get along. Do you know that Paul didn't get along with everybody? That he marks several by name and moves on? And yet people go, oh, we ought to, you know, if the Christian community would just come together, it's not going to happen. You know why? Well, most of the denominational stuff is religious-based, isn't it? It's not Bible-based. And here you are, we talk about being Bible-based, and what happens? You know, you guys, are, you guys are the bad guys. Paul lived in that. Okay, but when you think about this, look at these seven ones here, the seven unities. One body. Think about that. Does, and think about it in connection with where you're going to church or thinking about going to church. Does the ministry recognize the new creature of this dispensation? Or does it teach that believers are spiritual Israel? What a question. One body. Now, in chapter 2 of Ephesians, we've already learned what makes up that one body. The Jew and the Gentile. So what's the, what does the ministry recognize? One spirit. Does the ministry recognize that the Holy Spirit today works with and through the Scriptures alone? That's where he works. He's been doing that since Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Verse 2, and the earth was without form and void. You know that verse? And the Spirit of God moved upon the what? Faces of the deep, faces of the water. And God said. So as the, what moves the Spirit is God speaking. So where does the Spirit work? It's one Spirit. Does the Spirit work through, with and through the Scripture? Or is the Spirit working outside of the Scripture? That's a big question today. Extra biblical or biblical. Which one are you? you got to land somewhere. How about one hope, even as called in one hope? Does the ministry recognize the future event that we call the rapture? Or does it move us into the trib and post and all... Or does it leave us over here before the tribulation? Or does it put you in the kingdom, the earthly kingdom? Then he says, one Lord. Just think about that. Does the ministry preach? Does the, we preach Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, Romans 16, 25 and 26. Or do we preach Christ according to his earthly ministry? There's only one. Paul in Galatians 1 is very true. You better be careful which Jesus you preach. Which one? One faith. 
does that ministry recognize that in Paul's writing alone we find the doctrine, position, and walk and destiny of the church, the body of Christ? Or does it have the hodgepodge mixture? You just pick and choose. Then he says, one baptism. Uh-oh, now we're going to get in trouble, right? I don't understand why. Baptism, does the ministry recognize that every believer today is baptized by the Spirit into the body? That's what 1 Corinthians 12 says. Or is it all this ceremonial stuff that has to be done? See, if you're in the ceremonial stuff, then what have you done? You've left the one body thing. You're leaving the unity. Then he says one God. Does the ministry recognize that God today deals with humanity apart from the promises made through the nation of Israel, or do they mesh it all in? You see, in Ephesians 4 here, we have great questions to ask. Think about that. There's oneness. There's, we're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit, and not our unity with the Spirit. By the way, 113, you're sealed with the Spirit. You don't have to worry about your unity with the Spirit. It's already done. We're looking at what does the Spirit's unity say, and he's got seven points in there. Are you going to be dispensational? Are you going to be scriptural and dispensational? Or are you going to be scriptural and not dispensational? That's the question. Ephesians 4, keep reading. Verse 11, and he gave some. Think about that. Ephesians 4, 11, gave, past tense. Apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why did he give those gifts that were given? Because he was bored? Didn't have anything else to do? No, he gave it for what? Verse 12. For what? The perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Who's going to do the work of the ministry? Perfected saints do. Who's going to edify the body as all perfected saints do? So then what do they have to have? They have to have the word of God to do that. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See that issue? He gave and then till. There's timing here. And when Paul gets all of the revelation, the unity of Look at verse 13, the unity of the faith. Well, wait a second. What did he just say up in verse 5? One faith. What is the one faith? That isn't your faith in Christ. That's the ministry that is, we find in Paul's writing, the message we find given to the apostle Paul. We were talking earlier about Galatians 2. When he says they perceived the grace that was given unto me, he's not talking about the road to Damascus. He's talking about the message of the grace of God, the whole of it. You see, when we limit our understanding sometimes when we use words like gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. Glad tidings of great joy, right? Well, do you know that part of the good news given to us by the Apostle Paul is that before the wrath falls, you'll be taken home. That's great news, but that's part of the gospel of the grace of God. And sometimes we limit that. Don't limit it. When we talk about faith, we talk about the faith of Christ or our faith in Christ. The object of our faith is who? Christ. 
But when you talk about one faith, what's he talking about? He's talking about the totality of a ministry. So if we're going to do until we all come into the unity of the faith, Paul has received all the messages. It's all there. Then he talks about we uh, and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Now we're back over in 2 Timothy 3, aren't we? In verse 16 and 17, where he says, All scriptures given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Perfect. What does that mean? Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's maturity. When you read that word perfect, don't think sinless. Paul says, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a Pharisee, and of the law, and the righteousness of the law, blameless. He didn't say faultless. <laughs> he says, when I broke the law, I went and did what the law said to fix the, the break. When he talks about the word perfect, he's not talking about you being sinless. You're a sinner. You're ungodly. You deserve the wrath of God. You're a vessel fitted for wrath. You're two times dead. But what did God do? He sent his salvation to you. He had his son, but God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for you. Man, how rich you are. So when you think, now keep reading verse 13. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Think about the measure. What do you do when you measure something? I have a tape measure. It says that this pulpit is 26 and a half feet. Ah, thank you. See, how did you know it was inches and not feet? You've learned something over life. The measure. What measures this pulpit? Not my arm. Eh, about 26 and a half, because this is 24, and it got 20, you know. No. What? An objective standard. Do you know what this tape measure means to everybody? It's a, it's a standard outside of yourself, isn't it? I put it down. It's always going to say 26 and a half. It's always going to be there. It's an objective standard. The measure of the fullness of Christ God is not waiting to produce in the believer the fullness of Christ until the rapture and the heavenly places. He's doing it where? Now, right here in time. And what God is wanting to produce in the believer is the fullness of Christ. So what does he do? He designs sound doctrine. Sound, life-giving. By the way, sound doctrine and Bible doctrine are two different things. Noah and the ark, in Noah's day, the message, he's a preacher of righteousness, the message that Noah preached was sound doctrine in his day. But for you and I today, it's what? Bible doctrine. Did it happen? Yes. And word of God? Yeah. Do you know that Peter uses the term sound doctrine? But it's not your sound doctrine. Why? Because who's Pete talked to? Talking to Israel. Little flock. Unbelieving. He's... We would say Peter is Bible doctrine. They're different, sound doctrine, designed to produce life and stability within the believer. So by faith, what do you begin to do? Verse 14, 414. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. 
Isn't that interesting? The winds of doctrine blow. They blow strongly or they blow little. Have you guys noticed the winds lately? It's been really irritating. You know, just fill the pool up with stuff and then you know, all this, you know. But what happens? Why does the wind blow? Because there's a system in all of the, you know, all of the science, okay? <laughs> but, there, but the wind, what does doctrine do? Doctrine will come by and get your sails and take you off, if you're not careful, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But wait a minute, how do I measure the doctrine then that I'm hearing? The Word of God, rightly divided, being scriptural, but also being dispensational. Because what does 2 Timothy 2.15 say? Study to show thyself. You see, this is on you. Now, my, here in the local assembly, my job is to articulate it, preach it from the pulpit, get it in front of you, keep it there, hopefully. Because what happens, what happens in the morning? The alarm clock is late, I'm late, the 60's still closed, so I got to go a half hour early, you know, all, right? It took me two hours the other day to come from south end of Chandler down there to here. What a mess is right. You see, the doctrine, now watch verse 15. Here's the result. But speak the truth in love, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even, even Christ. You know what he wants? He doesn't want you to stay in the nursery. He wants you to grow up. He wants you to, to realize who you are. You, he wants you to realize what an adult would say and how adults would talk. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. Think about that. Here's what an adult does. There's a need, a supply, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's fantastic. We did those one anotherings, and we're to do what? Love one another. And we went over and we looked there in Philippians about that issue of esteeming others better than themselves. What are you to do? What's going to get you there? Being in the right location. Being in the right church. Being where you're getting your information from. The most dangerous thing today and to modern Christianity is the internet, is social media. Because what's happened is, is people have shut the book and go listen to Read, study, get yourself grounded, get yourself rooted and built up, and then move over and look there. Come over to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. So when it comes to where am I going to go, I have some guidelines, don't I? Do they promote the seven ones? Get in there and study those out. They're wonderful. That, by the way, that's our doctrinal statement here, are the seven ones. All right, if you don't have a copy of it, I, it's on the Internet. It's on the website. But it's also what we are, where we're at. I ha, I'll get you a copy if you tell me. 
But when you think about doctrinal statements, you know, you got all this. No, just here's the word. Here's, here's where they are. So when you're talking about what, you, what you're looking for, what are they going to, are they going to cause me to grow up to adulthood? Or are they going to keep me over here in the nursery? By the way, you know what you do with the kids in the nursery? You tell them what to do, don't you? Most sometimes. What do you do with an adult? You let them make their own decisions, decide for themselves. But if they're in the nursery and you've guided them and you've taught them and you've trained them, fathers bring your children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, then as adults, where are they going to land? But wait a minute, Rick, I'm, I'm now think, just think about that spiritually. I need to put myself where I'm going to learn. So it is critical where you go. It is critical to be a part of a local assembly that believes the Bible, teaches it rightly divided, and then causes the grace life, the life of Christ to be manifested out in your life. Watch Philippians 3, verse 4. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he am, he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So Paul's going to deal with having confidence in the flesh here. And he's going to lay out his religious pedigree in verse 5. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, is touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Now, verse 5 and 6, he's before Acts 9. That's what he did in the Jews' religion, Galatians 1. After Acts 9, his conversion, you know what he's going to say? He's going to say something else, completely different. He's going to say verse 8. All of that stuff over there that religion caused me to produce... You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to count it loss for Christ. In Christian jargon, that's called, I'm getting rid of the baggage of religion. I'm letting it go. Now watch verse 8. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency, now watch, of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Why does he count all that loss? For who? For Christ, but something about Christ. The knowledge of him. What's he doing today? You see, he, what's, the, what's the message of him? What's he doing today? What's the activity? That I may win Christ and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. You see this? I want to know him. So when you think about going to church and where you go, are you into the religious stuff? The circum, you know, the, the, the <laughs> I read in a, a, a Barna research group several years ago, and like 40% of Christianity that go to mega churches, now, this is B.C., before COVID, okay, when they were full to the brim and all that, hate did not like the music. They didn't want the music. They wanted the piano back. They wanted to sing their hymns. 
that they grew up with, they wanted teaching. Startling to the big wigs. That's why Barna did the research. And it was fascinating the breakdown across the, the generation, because that's what they do. And you know what? They come to find out that the Gen Zers and the millennials, they don't like the rock and roll music either. They like actually no music. It's very fascinating. So if you're into all of that, then what do you, you're not going to find that here. <laughs> we didn't even sing this morning. <laughs> so what am I after? I'm after being what? Rooted and grounded. I'm after knowing him. I'm after coming to the knowledge of him. I'm after being, having this inner man renewed in the image of him. That's what I'm after. Come over to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. When you think about a local church, most will bring you here to the Thessalonians. And they will make the statement that here is the model church. Here's the perfect church. Well, Spurgeon said it best. If you find the perfect church, don't join. You'll mess it up. So guess what? There's no perfect church. The Philippians, he calls the Philippians, we were there, I, we didn't look at He calls them perfect, mature. And yet they were terrified by their adversaries. They allowed their emotions to get the better of them from time to time. He looks over at the Thessalonians here, and he's going to say some things here to them. And when we begin to think about Thessalonians, he writes this book in Acts 18-ish, right in there. There's a lot going on. He's under tremendous persecution. You go read the account in Acts. The Jews are chasing him. They're trying to kill him. He's moving from, from town to town, if you will. Now, he evidently, according to Acts 17, he's there th at least three Sabbath days. So two weeks, three weeks, depending on how you look at the Sabbath day, you're going to start here and then add or here or whatever. It doesn't matter. He's there a while. In other words, he didn't just move in one night, do a whole bunch of stuff, and then leave the next day. He's there. He's doing ministry. He's doing the work of the ministry. In Acts 14, he tells us how he does the work. He goes into the city. He gets lost people saved, edifies the saved, and then establishes a local church. That's the process. That's the God-ordained vehicle. 1 Thessalonians. There's some wonderful things here. Verse 3, verse 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Now watch, remembering. So we're going to come back to verse 3 here. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ and in the sight of God our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God for our gospel. By the way, do you see verse 4? Do you see what he did with the election of God? He doesn't spend eight chapters d dealing with the issue of election. It's pretty settled. Election isn't talking about salvation. It's talking about service. He doesn't have to go into great oration here. Thessalon By the way, Thessalonians is said to be one of the first books he wrote. The, them and Galatians kind of go back and forth on that. But the thing is, is he doesn't go in. He, why? Because they got it. They understood what he was talking about. Verse, four, verse 5, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much what? 
affliction. It was dangerous to be associated with the Apostle Paul. Do you know that if you're associated with the Bible or with the Lord Jesus Christ, you are, you're, it's, da- it's getting to be dangerous? Do you see last week in the protest and all the Catholic churches stuff about the, that abortion thing and all that ruling and everything? It's going to get dangerous. But what did these people do? They received the word and much readiness. So that, verse 7, you were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia. And Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. What did this little group do? They did 2.13. Look over at 2.13. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that, what? That believes. What did they do? They heard Paul, verse 5 and 6, what did they hear? They heard Paul's gospel. They defend Paul. Look at 2.1. For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance in unto you that we, it was not in vain. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. What did they do? They received, they, verse 6, and ye became, 1 6, ye became followers of us. You know what's going on? Think about the situation. The Jews have hired men of the lewd baser sword, Acts 17. They got the mob after them, and then they go get the city government after them. And you know what the Thessalonians did? They still welcome Paul with open arms because of the gospel, the doctrine that he was communicating to them. You see that? What was he doing? What's that local church doing? They're taking the message and the ministry that Paul committed to them and they're broadcasting it out. They're sounding it out. They're in the right location. They have much affliction, they're under the gun. How do, you, how do you make a diamond? Do you remember? Pressure. You go to the jewelry store. Duh. Right? Pressure does. And pressure, and they're under pressure. And the pressure has led them to some spiritual growth. So much so, verse 3, he says, remembering without ceasing. When Paul thought of the, Thessal- the, the, the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, you know what he remembered? Not, whoa, oh, you know, man, we're having a hard time. He remembers what? Their work of faith, their labor of love, their patience of hope. The three great marks of maturity, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Faith, love, faith uh, hope, and charity, and the greatest of these is what? Charity, and we talked about charity, that issue of that. The end of the commandment is charity. You're getting at the end over there where you value and esteem things and people the way God does, and you look at them that way, and you begin to operate and function in your thinking that way. These folks had it. They remember. Paul, remember. Now, watch these three things show up here. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. For they themselves show of us of what manter manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols. So, verse 3, work of faith. What'd they do? 
They turn to God from idols. See that? To serve the living and true God. Labor of love. To serve the living and true God. Okay? And to what? Wait for his son, whom heaven hath received. There's the patience of hope. But keep reading verse 10. Whom he received from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the, what? Wrath to come. Delivered. Past. It's already done. Now, in time, in, in our thinking, we're still, you know, it, it stinks around here. You know, the 60s closed, took two hours, you know. But in God's mind, Romans 4, I love this verse. Go, go, run over Romans 4, sorry. Get off the, the notepad a little bit here. Romans 4. Great little thing stuck in a verse here that I think we need to uh, remember, if you will. Paul remembered these three. He says, I saw your work of faith. I, I saw you turn to God from the idols. I saw your labor of love, how you went and served the true and living God. And then I saw your patience of hope. I saw your maturity grow. Look at Romans 4. You got it now? Look there at verse 17. Paul's talking about Abraham. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Now watch. Before him whom he believed. Now even God, who quickeneth the dead. Now watch. And calleth those things which be not as though they what? They were. You see, in God's mind, you're already seated in heavenly places. In God's mind, you're already there. Now go back to 1 Thessalonians. You see that? He calls those things that are not as what? As though they were. Now in our mind, we're not there yet, are we? We got to go over here. We struggle. The back hurts. The knee hurts. The head hurts. The pocketbook's hurting. You know, the kids won't be quiet. They, they won't behave. You know. But in God's mind, where are you? You're already there. Now look at First Thessalonians here. What did they do? They've they have this work of faith. They've allowed the word of God to empower their lives because they believed it. They have a labor of love. They have a life motivated by gratitude for who, what he's done for them and who he has made them in Christ. So now they're out doing and they're out working. They're out laboring. That verse in 1 Corinthians 15, now think about this, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, the Apostle Paul writes, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. What caused the labor to happen? Paul's the one doing it, but what's motivating him? That labor of love, that gratitude of, hey, I need to do this because he did this for me. What did he do for you? He died for you. He blessed you with all spiritual blessing. He's made you complete. There's that work of faith. He's Everything the book says I've got, I got. I don't get any more. I don't get any less. I don't lose any of it. So off we go. Go back to 1 Thessalonians. They have a patience of hope. They have a life sustained by the hope that we have in Christ. 
they have some spiritual maturity. That in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 8, and I'm sorry, verse 6 and 7 and 8, is, crystal, is, is pressurized with the affliction. But it didn't shut them up. Verse 8, where they're out, sounding it out. They're out doing. They're out moving. Now, watch Paul in 1 Thessalonians. Now, come over to chapter 4. And watch Paul encourage them. Folks know who these guys were. They were talked about. That little church. I mean, I think about uh, this little church, but what are they doing? Man, they're out doing the work of the ministry. They're gathered together. The church is that classroom of the authoritative communication of doctrine. But it's also a life-size laboratory where we get to work it out <laughs> and we get to rub up against each other and move through it. 1 Thessalonians 4, look, look, look if you will at verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would start doing it. No. They're already doing it, aren't they? He's encouraging them to do what? More. Not just more, but more and more. Think about that. He looks over there and he says, you guys are doing what the doctrine has been telling you and teaching you to do, and I'm encouraging you to do it more, a little deeper. Have you ever noticed when you study Scripture, you're here, and then you come back through and you see something else and you peel another layer off, uh, peel the onion, as they say? That's what Paul's doing. More, guys, more. you got to do some more. It, it, it drop down to, to verse... 10, and indeed ye do it to, toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. Notice how it went from abound to increase. Those are two different things. Abounding, we're just getting going. Man, increasing. Now we're not even thinking about it. We're just by nature what? Doing it. Chapter 5, verse 1, but of the times... And the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Look at that. They have no qualms, no arguing, no midnight Bible study discussions over the prophetic scriptures. What do they do? They know. And they just don't know it. They know it how? Perfectly. You see that? But yet somebody is still going to get them. Because look in 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2. Now, now think about this. What is this local assembly doing? Folks, you, what church should you be going to? You should be going to this one. But I'm just prejudiced, okay? All right? You know why most people don't like to go to church? Because the preacher always seems to talk about money and giving. I forgot about the offering box. I got a note. Remember the offering box. Why? Because I don't think there, see, most people don't go to church because of that issue. Begging for money. Well, I can beg. But unless you're operating out of a gross, a gross, a great, yeah, on the gross, doggone it. No, out of a grace, gracious, motivated giving of a cheerful heart, then you're going to do it how? Grudgingly. And then you're never going to come back. 
And I would rather you come back and learn and grow than give a dollar. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2. Now watch this. How's that church been? They've heard the doctrine. They're growing. They're maturing. They're advancing in the understanding of the, doc, the sound doctrine. 2.1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him. Now, that, our gathering together unto him, that's a great way to say rapture, the word rapture. I know people don't like the word rapture. Say that. Or use Ephesians 4, the day of redemption. Okay? If that's, but in our gathering together, i.e. the rapture, that ye, now watch, be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit, now watch, nor by word, nor by letter, as from who? From us. As, a, as that the day of Christ is at hand. You know what's happened? Somebody has wrote a letter that they've missed the rapture, basically. And signed Paul's name to it. That's why he says, nor by letter, as from us. Sent it to him and said, this is, scripture. This is from the Apostle Paul and this is scripture. Now, the gift of the prophet at the time would have said, no, it's not. It's just a letter. But what did they do? They read it. Why? Because it's from Paul. It's from our apostle. It's from the guy that labored amongst us, and we know it. It's the guy that we are protecting. And yet, what did it do to them? It shook them. It shook their thinking. It shook their mindset. It moved them. Think about that. Here's this great church, mature church. They get... A, they get something over here that causes them to be shaken in their minds. They got focused where? On the wrong thing. If you drop down to verse 15, what are you to do? Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now, those are by word. Look at verse 5, 2 5. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I what? Told you these things? 2 Thessalonians 2 5. There's the word. See that? When Paul was with them, he communicated the doctrine to them. Or by epistle. Then what did he do? He went and wrote it down. What are you to hold on to? You're to hold on to the truth, you're to hold on to hear. Come back, or come over to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 14. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle. Think about that. This epistle. What did Paul just tell everybody in 2 Thessalonians 2? Back up, 2 Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 1. What are we waiting for? The coming of the Son. He's going to deliver us from the what? from the wrath to come, right? So then, chapter 4, here's the description of the events that gets us out before the wrath come. And then you get some bozo over here out of a seminary, I'm in a cemetery, seminary, and he's saying, you're going through the trib. Say, what? I got a verse that says, I'm to what? Note that man. 
and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. What's the identifying mark? Sound doctrine. Not, you know, not whether you like me or not, but it's what? The doctrine. That's the mark. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Think about that. So when you have, when you think about where am I going to go to church, I, I got some guidelines, don't I? It needs to be the pillar and the ground of the truth. We're not talking about buildings and campuses. You know, you guys got my email a couple months ago about trying to add on to the back of the building, be like 250K or something like that. That'd be great. It'd be wonderful. Would answer, we would be fantastic. But you know, that's the first time I've said anything about it from the pulpit. It's not a focus. Now, if you'd like it to be a focus and you'd like to donate the money, we'll gladly take it and we'll gladly build. But that's not the point. By the way, why would we put a thing on uh, an annex on the back of the house? Because ministry, what? Needs it. Why would we sell and move to another place? Because ministry needs it. Not because I want it, because I really don't. I would like a bigger office. That would be nice. Okay? So I can put a couch in there for you to sit on when we talk. (laughs) All right? But that's not, what's the focus? The preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. So when you begin to look at the local church, you're going to look at, hey, do they recognize the word of God? Do they recognize the Apostle Paul? Do they let the sound doctrine be the focal point? Or are they out there doing, you know, things? I mean, you got some guidelines. By the way, those are simple. All you, you don't have to talk to anybody. Just go watch their YouTube page if they have one. Really, seriously. Listen to a message. By the way, because if you go read their doctrinal statement, you'll go, oh, okay, great. But not everybody with the word grace in their name is grace. By the way, not everybody with the Bible in their name is Bible as well. And you've got to watch that. 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 1. We'll stop here. Again, folks, simple things. What church should I attend? You ought to be going where they're going to preach the word of God rightly divided. Acknowledge the special ministry given to the Apostle Paul. And stand on that truth. You find that, you found the gem. Now, we're fortunate here to have a local assembly. I know what people say, oh, we're so fortunate to have you. No, I'm fortunate to have you. Because without you, I'm talking to an empty room, nobody. Therefore, I'd be camping, (laughs) be doing something else, see? Why? What makes a local assembly? Saints and the leadership. Okay? 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And now, folks, that's what I pray for us. I really do. And let's do that verse. And let's let the Lord be glorified. And let's let the word have free course. And let's let that be the issue. Okay? All right, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for everything that we have in your son, for all that you've given to us. And Lord, I just thank the folks that come, that listen, that sit, study, want to be here, want to do it. For the folks on the internet, online, and 
the YouTube and all of that for those folks that come and look and study and want to know. And Lord, I just pray that in the end that we may be glorifying you and we're maybe that the word of the Lord may have free course. And if we're doing that, no matter what anybody else says, then we know that we're doing the right thing. And we'll give you the honor and the glory. In your name we pray. Amen. All right.